Good morning and welcome to the Gospel Grammar Show. My name is Jeffrey Stevens. Today will be week two of our Bible study on the Gospel of St. Mark. And this morning I'll be discussing chapter 1, verses 12 through 28. If this is the first of my Bible study episodes you've tuned in for, they are published every Saturday through the Anchor Podcast platform and I publish a blog post every Monday morning on gospelgrammar.com discussing my final point of the previous Bible study. Let's start with an Our Father before digging into God's Word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, and again, this week we will be going over Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 28. And if you, uh, if you remember last week, if you're able to turn into last Saturday's show, we just started with chapter 1, verse 1, and we're walking through verse by verse. We were introduced to John the Baptist, then he baptizes Jesus, and then we go through. We go through after he's baptized. Immediately, the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, "You are my beloved Son; with you I am well pleased." And so that, that's where we're picking up this week. And what I'll do is I will go ahead and read through the passage we're covering in its entirety, verses 12 through 28, and then I'll come back and touch on a few things. I've got seven different points I want to make this week, and then I have my my main focus. So let's let's go ahead and get started. Mark chapter 1 verse 12. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, 
And going on a little further, he saw James, his son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region in Galilee. And so that, uh, that's what we're going to dive into a little bit today. And that, um, that, that seems like a lot. That's, what, that's 16 verses. But that's normally what I'm going to stick around to in these weekly Bible studies. Some weeks there might be a couple more and some a couple less, but that that's right where I'd like to stay around about fifteen verses. And then what I'll do now is I've got some points I want to make, and while every verse isn't touched on, I will at least go in order. So I want to go back here to where we started today, verse twelve. And that says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And that might sound like a very simple statement, but when we chew up the words that we're saying here, Jesus was guided by the Holy Spirit during his earthly life. And we see it point blank. It says the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So Jesus was being guided and he followed the Holy Spirit. And as his followers, this provides a pattern for us to be both led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. As Christians... Both identifying the Holy Spirit's lead and being willing to follow need to be important to us. I published an article about this last Wednesday and will link it to this show's description. The more important we make this, the easier we'll be able to experience the Holy Spirit's presence. And this, this is something I've really been focused on a lot here I don't know, I'd have to look back through my journal, but uh, I want to say last probably 8 to 12 weeks, 
and for several years now, a big part of my prayers every morning has been, God, please open both my eyes and my heart to the presence of your spirit in my life. And I'm really starting to see more and more that the more effort I'm putting into obeying what God commands through the Bible, the more effort I'm putting into obeying, the less effort that's going to be required on my end to notice his presence. It just, it, it it's something, and I, I'm sure some people hear that and you think, well, that's basic preschool education, but that's really been an eye-opener for me because, of course, I'm a sinner. We all sin. We all make mistakes every day. But for the most part, on the average day, I'd say at least four or five days a week, I'm a pretty godly person. But when I've really let this soak into my my mind and think about this and all that I do, you know, when I start to think about consequences and reactions and what one thing's going to lead to another, the more thought I put into that, I'm able to pick up on the Holy Spirit telling me, hey, th this is what needs to happen. This is what you need to decide. This is how you need to go about that. And again, I, I just wrote about this the other day. And if you flip back, flip back to the description of this show after we're finished, I'll have a link right there. And you can go back and check that out if you'd like to. But uh, now going on here, verse 13. And he was in the wilderness, so he there's Jesus being guided by the Holy Spirit. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And now the Greek here, because a lot of times when I'm talking to people who are newer to the Christian faith, they're asking me when we go over this, well, if Jesus is being guided by the Holy Spirit, why would the Holy Spirit take him to somewhere he's going to be tempted? How's that any different from just flat out saying God is the one tempting him? And we have to be careful here because the Greek word for tempted is also used for test. And while none of us will ever be tempted to do evil by God, He will use situations and circumstances to test our character. And, and this is important here. You've got to realize, and I don't consider myself, I mean, I'm a practicing Catholic. Um, I, I'm, I'm still involved with the non-denominational Protestant church. And both the, the priest at my parish and the bishop in our diocese, they're aware of that, that they're okay with it. Um, I, I, would con, I would consider myself uh, charismatic with a seatbelt. I'm real careful, but I, I don't get carried away with it. But not, not enough of us take the time to realize that Every single day, we're in a spiritual fight. There's a battle going on around us. And Satan is still at work in our lives today. 
and he, he's out to get God's people. And he isn't stupid. His best means, he knows his best means of tempting us individually. So like my biggest weakness is as someone recovering from addiction to alcoholism and someone who has had serious struggles from time to time throughout life with lust, you know, if your issue is eating too much every now and then or spending too much money or whatever it is, Satan's going to, he's smart enough to know how to attack us differently. He knows your soft spots and he knows mine and you, you can count on it that he's going to take advantage of that. And according to the example Jesus sets for us here, we're best able to resist Satan and his temptation with God's word. Each of us needs a few it is written, and we can see this in more detail in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. And I'm not going to really get into it here, but the, the scriptures give three main instances where Satan tries to tempt Jesus. And every time this happens, Jesus' response is, it is written, it is written, it is written. And for every one of us, I've got a stack of index cards, which for the most part, I've got them fairly memorized now because I've been using them for years. But when Jesus, or when Satan starts speaking his lies into my ears, I've got a couple it is written to all use. And at first, I'll just try to kind of bow my head and close my eyes and say them to myself in prayer. And if it doesn't go away, I get to a point where I've got to say it out loud. And other people have noticed before, and you know, it, it is what it is. But each of us, we need some of these it is writtens. And what you want to do is you want to take your specific temptation, and all of us have Google now. If you're not familiar with the Bible, just Google where something's in the Bible and find what God's word says about that specific temptation and then use that to your advantage. Use it. Use God's word as a weapon and a defense against the enemy. So now on to this is one of these instances where I cover two verses. We're going to look at both Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And these two verses can best sum up Jesus' preaching ministry. The gospel is the good news that God's kingdom is at hand. This means that his rule over a person's heart and life is being established and that they should repent and believe in the gospel. To repent, the Old Testament called for a change in a person's attitude towards God, impacting both the way they acted and the choices they made in life. It involved the idea of turning from one way of living and thinking to a different way. 
External signs of repentance would include remorseful prayers, confession, and the renouncing of sin. And now, after bringing all that, I just I gotta ask because I I ask myself this every evening before I go to bed. I've got a little routine I go through where I I question myself and where do I need to repent. And as you're listening along, I'm sure a couple ideas, if if you're human, have already popped in your head, and you're probably doing as much as you can to push them away, and that's exactly where the most repentance is needed. But I encourage you to think about that, because everyone everyone needs repentance. I don't care if you're in the golden ages of life and you've been going to Sunday school every week since you were a child or if you're in your early 20s and you're brand new to church on Sundays every one of us have something that we need to repent of in life and so I I encourage you that don't just think about it pray about it read through the Bible pray through the scriptures Ask God to reveal to you where repentance is most needed in your life. And don't try to just out and out be perfect tomorrow. When Jesus first became important to me back in 2012, I had to take just small little baby steps at this. I I looked at where was repentance needed most in my life. And at that time... I I was living in a faith-based recovery home for men suffering from alcohol and drug addiction down in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. We lived four blocks from the ocean, from the beach, and of course there were bikinis everywhere. And so that was a huge issue with me. I, I had some real struggles. And the closer I got to Jesus those first couple weeks, the more I discovered a passion for writing about the Bible. And so I'd go to the beach, and I'd take my Bible and notepad and an ink pen, and I would just read, read through a chapter and find one verse to write about. But I, I started noticing the girls there at the beach had more, more of my attention than the Bible did. So I prayed about this. and It, it bothered me. It's something I, I wasn't okay with. And then it, it just hit me out of blue. You know, I can come down here at 7 in the morning and there aren't nearly as many people out at that time. So the more important we, the more important we make this, the more we get the Holy Spirit involved and asking God to show us where repentance is most needed, the easier this process is going to become. So on here now to verse 17 and 18. 17 and 18. And Jesus, and Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now Jesus' words, fishers of men, are directly related to Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. And I'll read that here in a second. But both Simon and Andrew would have been familiar with this. 
back then, the, uh, these people, they, they knew the Old Testament word for word. I just was a part of daily life. Every day you spent time in the scriptures. So when Jesus said this to them, their mind, it would have instantly went to the prophet Jeremiah. So scripture tells us they immediately dropped everything and followed Jesus. And this is definitely an example more of us need to follow. And I'll touch, I'll touch on this a little more as we wrap up. But for now, I want to focus on our need to know God's word. This fishers of men saying is something many of us would read over and not give a second thought. And I'll admit it, you know, when I first started reading that, I I just thought, you know, big deal. It's kind of cool. I like to go fishing. So uh, it never really got my attention. But Simon and Andrew... When they heard this, because they were familiar with Scripture, they would have realized something amazing was about to happen. And I'm just curious, how much do we miss out on simply because we aren't familiar with God's Word? You know, the, these little these little details, I guess, that we are just quick to skip over and pay no attention to, that it grabs... Simon and Andrew's attention and they know something big's about to happen how much do we miss on because I, I want to read this again here's what we're covering here Matthew chapter or I'm sorry Mark chapter 1 verses 17 and 18 and Jesus said to them follow me and I will make you become fishers of men and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now this is what Jesus is talking about here. This is Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. But as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. And so again, you know, we just read, okay, cool, Jesus is going to make these guys fishers out of men. But when they hear him say this, th this passage I just read, that that's where their mind would have went is they would have thought, okay, I've read about this before. God's getting ready to use us to go get the attention of his people and to lead them back to him. So this would have been a huge ordeal for uh, for these, early, these first disciples. Uh, 
Simon and his brother Andrew, which if you don't know here, this Simon is his Peter. So this was a big deal. Now on here to verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And the main focus of Jesus' earthly ministry was teaching, not casting out demons and performing miracles. Both of these were used to accompany his teaching, demonstrating his divinity. Jesus would teach with his own divine authority rather than the repetition of the religious teachers and scribes. These other men, these other men would spend a lot of time quoting well-known rabbis to explain the scriptures, giving more authority to their words. But because Jesus is God, the Son, and author of scripture, he didn't need to quote anyone to explain them, providing an authority the Jewish people had never seen. So this is big here because back back during these times, rabbis were everywhere, the religious teachers, the scribes, and the, these men were good at what they did. I mean, you had to be much better than I am at recording a podcast. These men taught with authority. You could tell, a lot. like I said earlier, the Old Testament was very big to them. These men had to know just everything word for word. There was no paraphrasing or taking scriptures out of context. They knew everything about everything about everything when it came to the words of the Old Testament. But what they lacked was the ability to not only do these miracles and perform healings, but they always had to reference other rabbis and other teachers. And because they knew this, because these names would right away come to their mind and they could quote someone else, that looked like they had authority. But Jesus, he doesn't do that at all. He doesn't need to give anyone's explanation to explain what means what. He, he, he doesn't need to read a study Bible or a commentary to figure out what the scriptures mean. He's able to explain them in a way that others can perfectly understand because he's the author of scripture. And so this was completely new to the people in the area. And so that, that's why he started, he started developing an audience. He had a following that was building day after day. More and, pe more, and more people were coming to him. And yes, it's because they wanted healed and they wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to get the free food, the, the, the fish and the loaves of bread when Jesus fed thousands of people. But they also were drawn to him because of his ability to teach. That was the focus of everything Jesus did while he was during his earthly ministry was teaching others about the kingdom of God. And so on now here to verse 23 and 24. 
And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And unlike the people who were in the synagogue, the unclean spirit was able to identify Jesus as the Holy One of God. He tries to resist the power of Jesus and his teaching on the kingdom of God, but knows Jesus has come to destroy him. And th this is important. Like I said, the synagogue would have been full of people. The majority of them there specifically just to see Jesus. But none of them realize who he is. No one there is able to identify him as a holy one of God except for this unclean spirit. And even the unclean spirits and demons know who Jesus is. They simply don't know him personally. They lack a relationship with him. And what about you? What are you doing to develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? What are you doing to make sure you know not necessarily just about Jesus, to make sure you know Jesus. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. I know a lot about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was my hero growing up. I've done a lot of writing about him and his stats and what he accomplished in the NBA. But if he walked in the room right now, he would have no clue who who I am. I, I don't know him personally. He he doesn't even know my name. And so, how are you with Jesus? Is Jesus someone you know a little about or know a lot about? Or is he someone you know personally? Someone who knows you on a first-name basis, who knows the most intimate details about your life. And as followers of Christ, that's what he desires to have with each and every one of us. And that doesn't just happen. It, it, it takes time and effort. We have to spend time with our nose in the Bible. We have to spend time doing this, studying God's Word, time in prayer, time in fellowship with other Christians. And that, that's one of God's favorite ways to communicate with us is through His people. And so we have to have mentorship. We have to have people pouring into us and helping us grow and de develop into more. And then at the same time, we have to find those who are newer to the faith than we are ourselves, and we have to start pouring into their life and, and into their faith and what they believe. And the more we do this, the more intimate we grow with Jesus, and the more we get to know him on his personal level to where we don't simply know about him, we know exactly who and what he is. So on now here to verse 26. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And I, I've probably read this verse. I don't know. I, I'm sure I've read it probably 20 to 50 times. And that just really got my attention when I was outlining this show. 
and the unclean spirit convulsed him and crying out with him or crying out with a loud voice came out of him and I never caught on to that before I thought Jesus just commanded him to leave and he left but it says here he convulsed him so this man was affected by the unclean spirit leaving his body scripture tells us that the unclean spirit convulsed this man before coming out of him and even today there can be a lot of pain involved with healing in order for pain and hurt to be healed things have to be rearranged within our soul this can be like this can be life changing it can affect future generations of our families the secret is to look through the pain and hurt of the current situations and circumstances and keep our eyes focused on the hurt and pain of the cross and that that just really got to me when i was reading over this today or the other day because I, I've gone through quite a bit of healing in my own life over the last, what, three or four years. And some of it has hurt really, really bad. And see, it, it wasn't punishment. It wasn't something that was happening because I did something wrong. It was because I was growing and developing and becoming more intimate with Jesus Christ. That relationship was turning into something more. And there was a lifetime of hurt that needed healing in my life. Like this man has this unclean spirit and he has to be healed of that. And it convulses him while the spirit is leaving. And that happens actually more often than not when we go through healing today there's people that come in and out of our lives and leave in ways we don't like it and the closer we go to Jesus the more stuff like it starts to happen and if we're not careful this hurt and this pain of the healing can be what turns us away from God and as long as we keep our eyes focused on the cross, you know, when Jesus Christ died for our sins, making our salvation possible, th there was also a lot of hurt and pain involved in that. And so as long as that's where our attention is, it's a lot easier to go through whether, whatever it is we're currently battling. So that, that wraps up the seven notes that I had. But now I want to focus a little bit here on a, a point. And this goes back to verses 17 and 18. I'll read those again real quick. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And in verse 17 we read Jesus calling Simon and Andrew to follow him. J 
James and John received the same invitation in verse 20. In both instances, each of the four men immediately drop what they are doing and follow Jesus. And too many of us today have questions we're wanting answered before we are willing to follow Jesus' lead anywhere. Notice the men here, they don't ask how many others will be going or how long it will take to get where it is they're going to. They didn't even need to know where it was they were going. Simply being in the presence of Jesus and knowing they had obeyed was enough. This has to be an example we're willing to follow. Jesus is to be the one thing that drives everything in our lives. He's the center of who we are, part of our identity. His role and importance don't change with our situations and circumstances. When we live with Jesus as the Lord of our lives and faithfully remain surrendered to him, he changes how what's going on around us affects who we are. He provides us with peace through the storm healing all the pain and brokenness inside us through the process. The key to all this is making him the Lord of our lives instead of just a friend we hang out with every now and then when it's convenient for our schedule. And, and so again, you know, I, I can remember when Jesus was really calling me to leave what I was doing full-time professionally and go into writing full-time, which the majority of what I do is I write, write towards a Christian audience. There's a few different websites I write for, both Catholic and Protestant, and I'm actually, here in a couple of weeks, my book will be available, and I'll have more, more information on that next week. But, but the point isn't my book. The point is, this was a little bit intimidating. I mean, I had, I had a good job. I was making great money. My bills were paid. I was putting money in the bank. And the closer and closer I grew to God, he was telling me, hey, I want you to step away from all that and just have faith and trust in me. And I want you to go back to writing full time. And I didn't follow the example of these four men here. I, di I didn't just say, okay, and do it and immediately follow God. I had all kinds of questions. I, I needed answered before I was even going to think about it. I had to know where that next paycheck was going to come from. I had to know things were going to be okay financially and it wasn't going to get hard and my daughter wouldn't feel any kind of consequences in her life. You know, I, I've got a few mentors I had to run things by and get their input. And the, these disciples back here, these four men, they don't do any of that. Like I said, that they don't even ask Jesus where they're going, how long it's going to take to get there, who else is going. J 
Jesus says, follow me, and they drop the nets and they go. And that's exactly how we have to live today if we ever want to get to where it is Jesus wants to take us. And so that is today's episode. Next Saturday, we will discuss Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 45. I want to thank you for tuning in to this morning's show. If you've enjoyed this, please share with a friend. Again, I'll publish a blog post Monday morning going into more detail on what we discussed discussed today in developing an authentic faith in God on gospelgrammar.com. And that'll be published. It'll be around probably about 8.30 Eastern Time on gospelgrammar.com. I'll also publish another podcast episode Monday morning discussing the daily readings of the Catholic Church. Until then, live free and on purpose.